You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, if we haven't met before, uh, my name's Tom, and uh, we're going to be continuing our series this morning called God at Work. And last week, Morris kicked us off and uh, showed us really that God cares about our Monday to Friday or our Monday to Saturday, um, not just our Sundays. God is really interested in what we do in our workplaces and our context of life. And so today we're going to be looking at the subject of integrity. And I want to just uh, give you a few scenarios to think about. Firstly, I want you to consider uh, you're in your uh, workplace and you hear that there's a job, uh, there's a promotion coming up, uh, someone's left and it's, there's a possibility that you could go uh, for a promotion, but you also know that one of your colleagues is also interested in that promotion. And there's a few things that you know about your colleague which they would not want your manager to know. And one day you get called in for a one-to-one with your management and uh, your manager just happens to mention your colleague's name. And at that moment, you've got an opportunity to drop in there, maybe from a point of view of being concerned for them, uh, whatever it might be that we like to kind of disguise uh, gossip as sometimes. You've got an opportunity to, to drop in there something about your colleague, which you know will knock them down the pecking order and will put you up the pecking order. What do you do in that situation? Second situation, your They're working at your desk and uh, your manager comes to you and says that there's been a mistake made uh, in one of our processes and we're going to be audited soon. There's people going to come and investigate everything that we've been doing and I just want you to just change a couple of records. That's all I'm asking you to do is just to log on to the system and change a couple of records. What do you do in that situation? (laughs) Well, third scenario. You are very, very successful in your work. You've really uh, got on so well with your boss and uh, you're getting on so well with your boss, actually, that sometimes you are allowed to borrow your boss's golf clubs uh, or you get invited to the boss's uh, house for meals and you just become very good friends with your boss. And uh, one day, the boss goes on a, on a business trip. He says, I'm going to be back in a few weeks' time, but whilst I'm away, could you just pop in on my family, just make sure they're okay? Just to knock on the door, just make sure everything's ticking along nicely. And so you do that, you knock on the door later in the week, And uh, who opens the door but the boss's wife? And she's looking very, very beautiful indeed. And she says, oh, do you want to come in? There's no one around. And uh, suggests to you that maybe she's wanting more than just a chat. What do you do in that situation? This is a situation that Joseph in the Old Testament found himself in. We're going to read together from Genesis 39. So if you have a Bible with you, when you turn there, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, chapter 39. So we're looking at the subject of integrity this morning. Integrity concerns walking before God in an upright way, honoring him with the way in which we live, being uh, responsible with the things that he's entrusted to us and calling people to see Jesus uh, in the way that we live. I've uh, made it nice and easy for us to remember by calling this... Integrity is concerned with four ships. It's concerned with lordship, worship, stewardship and discipleship, and we're going to go through each one of those together. So, Genesis 39. So, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. They were jealous of him, and they'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses together. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with, was with Joseph, 
and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except for the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Come, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by his garment, saying, Come, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This is a story about integrity, because Joseph. I imagine, was probably quite tempted. At no point did he say, no, thank you, you are ugly. At no point did he say, I wouldn't go near you with a barge pole. She's coming to him day after day after day. I imagine she's probably a very beautiful woman. And he was probably very tempted. And only she and he would have known. No one else was in the house. Only they would have known had anything happened. But Joseph refused. and In fact, he legged it. He ran away. Joseph demonstrated integrity because he knew that God was Lord of his life. He knew that God was Lord of his life. I think that for many people, sadly, their understanding of the Christian faith is this. I say a prayer one day and I believe in some facts about Jesus and therefore I've got a sure and certain ticket to heaven. But actually, Christianity is being invited into life with Jesus as our saviour and our Lord. And that actually he is concerned about the way we behave. He's concerned about the way in which we live our lives. And he's not just concerned, as we're going to see this morning, about the way we behave on a Sunday morning. So Joseph knew that God was his Lord and that God is the God who sees. Just a few chapters before this, God is revealed as the God who sees. El Roy, the God who sees. Even though only Potiphar's wife would have known, he knew that God would know. And even though it might be that only your manager and you know about the the records that he or she is asking you to tweak, God would know. And even though only your manager would know if you just said a bad word about your colleague who you were vying for promotion with, God would know. God would know. He's our Lord. We've been saved into his kingdom. And actually, God wants us to submit all of our lives to him. All of our lives to him. Not just uh, 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Not just a bit of our money. But actually, all of our lives, God wants us to submit to the lordship 
of Jesus. There's a guy called Abraham Kuyper who says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So if you know Jesus here, Jesus wants all of you. He wants all of me, and he wants us to submit to his lordship. He's a good lord. He's a good master. Not like earthly masters who can be corrupt. Jesus is a good lord. He's a good master. He knows the very best for us. So the gospel, this good news that we've been celebrating this morning that of God's love and his action to save us and adopt us and bring us into his kingdom, this is actually meant to change everything. There's not meant to be a bit of our lives that are left untouched by this good news. It has uh, connotations for our workplace, how we behave in the workplace, for our parenting, for our life goals, for our uh, spare time, for our finances. As our heart gets more and more warmed to this amazing news, it will be less and less gripped by the desire for the accolades of uh, our, our parents or our workmates or our friends and our children. Actually, rather than seeking after things of this world, we'll be seeking after God and going to live, to live for him. We must actually come to see that our affections change more and more as we grow and grow uh, in the knowledge of the good news. Actually, to, be, remain, to remain unchanged, completely unchanged, I would very much doubt that you've taken the gospel to heart at all. We, must, we will see that the, the gospel, the good news, as we understand what God has saved us from and what he saved us to, as we take that more and more to our hearts, we will change. We will more and more let go of the things that this world strives after and go after him. So notice Joseph's reaction. It wasn't, no way, I wouldn't go near you with a barge pole because you're really ugly. Nor was it, think about your husband, Potiphar. He'd be really hurt by this. Nor was it, I'm going to lose my job if I do this. Those probably were in his thoughts. His first thought was, I cannot do such a wicked thing and sin against God. His first thought was, I don't want to sin against God because he's my Lord. He's rescued me. He's taken me into him and into his family. and I don't want to sin against him. So you see that reaction there. It wasn't what are the consequences of this action going to be if I get found out? It was actually, I don't want to sin against God in this way. God sees all. So Joseph demonstrated integrity in his workplace when he was faced with great temptation to do wrong. And he said, I cannot do this wicked thing and sin against God. God was in his heart as his Lord. Secondly, integrity is a matter of worship. So we all work for an audience. Whether we consciously acknowledge that or not, we work for an audience, whether it be our parents and trying to impress them, whether it be uh, friends, whether it be our children, all of the things that I've mentioned already, we work for an audience in some way. And so often, us working for an audience leads us to overwork, right? So we want to try and impress people, we want to get loads and loads of stuff, so we might do crazy amounts of overtime in order to get more money so that we can impress people. Or we want people to think that we're important, or whatever it might be. So, if we work for an audience other than an audience of one, that is our God, we will, it will lead to overwork. Timothy Keller uh, has written a book called Every Good Endeavour. And I'd really recommend this to any of you who would like to grapple with the issue of how do I serve God in my workplace? Uh, the tagline is connecting your work to God's plan for the world. I'd really recommend this book. It's very accessible, very uh, easy to understand. And this is what he says. 
about an audience. He says, all worldly audiences are inadequate. Working for them alone will lead to overwork or underwork. But Christians look to an audience of one, our loving Heavenly Father, and that gives us both accountability and joy in our work. How can we have joy in our work? How does God help us to have joy in our work? Well, really, it comes from a place, once again, I'm going to be talking about the good news a lot today. It comes from really appreciating everything that he's done for us, the way in which he's rescued us, the way in which he's shown mercy to us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul's written this mammoth book of Romans in the Bible, right? It's one of the best books in the Bible. It's packed full of truth about how God's kept faithful to his promises, how he's rescued us, how he's saved us, brought us into his family as adopted children, and so on and so on and so on. And in Romans chapter 12, after 12 glorious truth-filled chapters, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or in other translations it says, so then in view of God's mercy... I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship is what happens when we consider the mercies of God, when we consider the fact that he has treated us far better than our sins deserve, that he's shown us grace, which means he's treated us as if we'd lived the life that Jesus had lived. And he lived a really good life, didn't he? (laughs) He perfectly obeyed God, and so God in his grace now treats us, those of us who have placed our faith in him and are wrapped up in him, he treats us as though we'd lived the life that Jesus had lived. So in view of his mercy and grace, we now offer our lives as living sacrifices to him. It's a joy thing. It's not, a, it's not kind of a, a joyless, kind of duty-bound thing. It's a, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to offer my all. And that includes worshipping God through our work. Praise is what we do on Sundays when we're singing and dancing and lifting our hands and clapping. And worship may look like that, but it may also look like changing a nappy. It may also look like caring for a sick parent. It may also look like working hard in your workplace. Worship is an all-of-life thing. And God cares not just about Sundays, but the whole of life. We need to understand that there's no uh, sacred, secular divide. I used to use the phrase, when I was in secular work, that was to try and describe the, the point of my life before I started working for Hope Church when I was a social worker. I don't use that phrase anymore because my job now is no more spiritual than it was then if I was acting it out as an act of worship before God. My role now that I happen to work for a church is no more spiritual than when I was working for Hampshire County Council. So we need to understand that there's no sacred secular divide when it comes to God. Sometimes we ask this question, don't we? And you'll know whether you've asked this question or not when I say it. How is your spiritual life doing? Who's asked that question before of someone? Who's been asked it? Not many of you, actually. Not many of you. Nine o'clock service are much holier. They all had, you know, had been asked or had asked that question. How's your spiritual life doing? And I get what people are saying. I get what people are asking, what they're concerned about. But actually, there isn't a spiritual life and a secular life for a Christian. All of life is lived out as an act of worship before God in view of his mercy. So for a Christian, there's, there's not really many jobs that a Christian can't do. There's maybe a few that we could think of, some obvious ones that a Christian really should not be doing. But there's not many. There's not many at all. You could probably list it on one hand. 
The Christian can be a banker, a cleaner, a farmer, a caretaker, a bouncer, whatever it might be, and can worship God through their work. Because we've been saved, we've been set free, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit in order to bring God glory in every area of life. Ephesians chapter 6, you might want to turn there, but if not, I'm going to read it out anyway, so don't worry. Paul writes this to bond servants, or it might even say slaves in your version. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So let's just, quick aside, slavery or bond servants, as we've read there in Jesus' time and in Paul's time, was not the same as the African slave trade, which was race-based and was lifelong and was downright evil. This was something completely different, actually, where it was a bit more like contracted servitude and people were able to often, by their own freedom, it was a bit, it was, it was like, a, I suppose, like a job in some respects. So we can draw some comparisons here. Firstly, if, if slave owners are told that they must manage their workers without making them fear, without pride, I think we have much more motivation if we're employers today. If slaves are told that it's possible to find satisfaction and meaning in their work, how much more should be true of workers today? So slaves who have come probably doing some pretty downright rubbish jobs. They're told that they can find meaning and purpose in their work. We also have great reasons to find it in our work. So the gospel, the good news, it leads us to worship God through our work. We work with sincerity of heart, not just doing the bare minimum, not doing just about enough. That's a massive temptation, isn't it? To just do enough. Actually, we work wholeheartedly. We remind ourselves of the gospel and it propels us to worship him through all that we do. As we see afresh the good news, as we see afresh this amazing gospel, friends. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can come into church and not really feel like praising God, right? That's not really bubbling up within us. It's so often because we believe we deserve more than we have. Or we've really not got a, an understanding of how much we've been forgiven. Maybe we thought we actually had it pretty good and we had it pretty much together and we didn't really need forgiving. That, that kind of attitude kills worship. <laughs> it really does. But when we really understand all that he's done for us, it will bubble up within us and we'll see there's no secular place and a spiritual place you know Sundays are some sort of day when I give God his due and then the rest of the week I do what I need to do actually it's an all of life thing and it will it will bring in much glory in our workplaces and our context of life it's not it's not just I'm not speaking here just to those of you as well who are on the worship teams although it's really important that you get this because God whilst he loves your musical ability and your singing he actually is so concerned that we're not just raising our hands and singing on a Sunday and then in, in the week being downright lazy and rude colleagues. Because actually that doesn't bring him glory and it damages our witness to him. So integrity is a matter of lordship, it's a matter of worship, it's a matter of stewardship. God has given you your job. He's given it to you. Or if you're currently 
working in the home, looking after children or looking after loved ones. He's given you that job for however long he's given it to you. He's given it to you for a reason. It's a gift to you. Have you ever thought that actually work is a gift from God? It seems like so often like a necessary evil, doesn't it? I have to get by and I'm going to make it to Friday night alive. (laughs) But have you ever thought about how boring life would be if there was no work? In fact, how uncultivated this world would be if there was no work. We wouldn't be here because no one would have built this place. We'd have had to meet in some sort of jungle somewhere. It would be really weird. You wouldn't be able to hear me either because no one would have built this microphone. God has given us work because he gives us purpose. It gives us dignity as well because God has made us in his image and he's a worker. He creates. He's a creator. And so work really is a gift from him to be stewarded well, that we do our very best with it. Jesus was a carpenter. In fact, it seems to be the case that that was something that people mocked him for. They said, isn't, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter? Probably wasn't a very highly esteemed job in his time. You're probably more highly esteemed if you were you know, some sort of religious leader or a, uh, you know, some sort of high-ranking Roman official or something like that. But actually, they say to Jesus, isn't he the carpenter? They're kind of mocking him a little bit for it, but it shows that actually God doesn't discriminate between jobs. He doesn't say, well, someone who's working you know, in the financial sector, sealing million-pound deals, is much, much more important than someone who is earning minimum wage and cleaning a hospital floor. He doesn't make a, he doesn't make a difference between them. He doesn't think one's more important than the other. It actually, he, he gives, when we understand that work is a gift, it gives work great dignity. And the economy of the kingdom, as Morris shared last week, is that as we are faithful in the little, even in the things we think are insignificant, he will entrust us with more. That Our reward, as Morris shared last week, our reward for hard work is more work. And that's a good thing, because it's one of God's ways of honouring us, bestowing honour upon us when we're faithful with the little. Many of us will know the highlights of King David's life, how he slayed Goliath, how he ruled the nation, quite successfully really, how he carried out amazing military campaigns. But we also see what he did in, in the secret place, how as he was entrusted with just some, a few sheep, he was faithful in that role. He was faithful in the role of looking after a few sheep, fending off the animals that wanted to come and kill those sheep. He was faithful in the little and God entrusted him with more. That's how God wants us to be when it comes to work. He wants us to see that it's a gift to us and that we're to steward it well. We're faithful, as we've seen from uh, those verses in Ephesians, we're faithful with the gift of work. When we we work as if we're working for the Lord, when we consider that he's our boss ultimately, we work sincerely with our whole hearts. We obey our bosses not just when they're looking. How tempting is that? When the boss goes out, on goes BBC Sport, or on goes uh, the latest... uh, game, whatever it is that we're playing, Pokemon Go or whatever it might be, that can be a massive temptation to only work when the boss is looking. But one of the ways which we're faithful in work is to obey our bosses and not just when they're looking. We're faithful when we treat our employees with kindness and fairness. 
when we consider that there's, a, there's actually a reward awaiting us. This is what this verse, these verses have just told us. There's a reward waiting for us. Those who are faithful with this gift of work, there's reward waiting for us. I think it's talking mostly about a heavenly reward. However, I think there's earthly reward as well. Joseph showed integrity when he was, in, when he was tempted. And for a little while, it didn't go very well for him because Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of coming on to her and he ended up getting thrown into prison. But later down the road, he ends up being prime minister. Joseph was faithful in the little. God entrusted him with more. I think there's a principle there. It's not a guarantee that you're going to become prime minister. All right, I'd be downright frightened if any of you became prime minister. But there's a, there's a promise here that actually God will reward us when we're faithful in the little. So, integrity is about lordship, it's about worship, it's about stewardship, and finally it's about discipleship. If you know Jesus, and that's most of us here, I think, if you know Jesus, then your calling is to make disciples. You're a disciple of him, you're following him, and your calling is to make other disciples. In fact, you can't really be a disciple unless you make disciples. You're called to present Jesus to other people, to show him Show other people how glorious he is and then to say, come on, follow him. Come with me as we're going to learn to follow him together. That's what we're called to do. We're actually called to shine. The Bible, in a number of places, calls Christians to shine. And if you can think of, if this room was really dark right now and we saw a torch shining, it would really look different. It would stand out. We are called to look different. I've used the phrase before when I've been speaking to friends about church. I've just said, we're a bunch of normal people. Well, in reality, we're not. We're not normal people. What I was trying to communicate, I suppose, was that we might appear normal and maybe uh, you know, church might be accessible and helpful for you to come and understand what we're all about. But in reality, we're not normal people and we're not supposed to be normal people. In fact, you should be the most extraordinary person in your workplace. That doesn't mean you are a loud mouth and you're always talking about Jesus and you know saying things that sound holy. That doesn't mean that. But you should stand out. Maybe in quiet ways. Maybe in ways that aren't in your face. You should stand out. Paul, uh, writing to the Philippian church, we've, we've gone through the book of Philippians early this year. Wonderful book. He writes in chapter 2, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. His problem with their grumbling and complaining wasn't so much that it was just a bad thing, don't do it because it's bad, but actually that as they grumbled and complained, they just looked the same as everyone else. That actually he wanted them to stand out. We are in a society, I think, that grumbles and complains a lot. We can smash it in the Olympics, come second in the medal table, but next week we're complaining about the football team. That's just a silly example, but we are negative in this country. Every, you, know, you can have the best weekend, bank holiday weekend or whatever, and you come back to work on the Tuesday. How was your weekend? Yeah, not bad. We're kind of like that, aren't we? And though, no, not that we're to be plastering on smiles, but actually in the way that we don't grumble and complain, we will stand out. We will stand out. It will cause people to sit up and take note and think, what on earth is it that's different about them? 
Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One of the ways in which we can make disciples is in our workplaces as we show what it is like to follow Jesus. As we show, you know, we're not perfect, right? We're going to get things wrong. I get things wrong. You get things wrong. Sometimes we're going to maybe even have to own up and say to our colleagues, you know what, guys, I feel like I... I didn't really even honor my own faith there. I didn't honor Jesus in what I did there. And that actually can sometimes be an even greater witness to your friends and colleagues because they see that you're not perfect and that you need a savior. So we live in a different way. It will cause people to to, to sit up and think, what is different about them? And maybe you'll get an opportunity to say, you know what, my life has been changed by Jesus. Maybe you'll get an opportunity to say, well, I go to church and they can explain things in a way that I can't, so why don't you come along? Or maybe you can give them an alpha flyer and say, why don't you come along to our alpha course in October? Four sessions where we're just going to look at what Christianity is all about. You can ask questions. No questions, too stupid. These kinds of things. As you live differently, you'll have these opportunities. Timothy Keller, who wrote the book I mentioned earlier, he finishes his book talking about a lady who came to faith. He says, Years ago, I heard of a Christian who showed integrity and compassion. Not long after we began our new church in New York, I saw a young woman who was visiting and darting away from the service. One week, I intercepted her. She told me she was exploring Christianity. She didn't believe it at that point, but she found it interesting. I asked her how she had found the church, and she told me this story. She worked for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her her job. But her boss went into his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some of his reputation and ability to rise the ranks in the organization. She was amazed at what he'd done and went to thank him. She told him that she'd seen supervisors so often take credit for what she had done, but never taking the blame for what she'd done. She asked him what made him different. He was modest and deflected the questions, but she was insistent. I'm a Christian, he said. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus took the blame for the things I've done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a moment and asked, where do you go to church? And some months later, She found Jesus. Isn't that a really encouraging story? His character was shaped by the gospel. He'd taken the gospel to heart. He understood what Jesus had done for him. And that gave him the ability not to try and impress people, but to actually take the blame for what someone else had done wrong. That's quite Christ-like, isn't it? And she was amazed by that. And it made her ask, what is different about you? Where do you go to church? I want to know. I want to know what it is. So when we show integrity... We will look different. We will shine and we'll be able to make disciples. It might be that it's things that you don't do that cause you to shine. It might be that you don't join in with the gossip. It might be that actually instead of laying the knife into that colleague that everyone hates, you say something like, well, you don't know what's going on in their life to make them be like that. Or isn't she great at this? Or isn't he really good when he does this? You can speak positive things rather than negative things. Or it might be that you don't panic when the pressure's on because you've got that steadiness of your soul that comes from just really giving everything over to God. It might be that you don't panic. I was 
uh, social worker during the first round of the government's cuts to the public sector. And, uh, and we felt it, right? We felt it. I had people you know, swearing down the phone at me because their loved one had not been uh, yet receiving the care and support they needed. And they'd made the referrals eight weeks ago. I've had people shouting down the phone at me. I've had colleagues go off stre- with stress for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And that was one way. You know, I got it wrong a lot of the time. I'm not going to try to paint myself as a hero here. But one of the ways in which I stood out was by the fact that I didn't get stressed. I didn't allow it to overwhelm me. I didn't allow it to, uh, you know, be swallowed up in it. And actually, people did ask, you know, why, why is it that you're calm when everyone's panicking right here? Everyone's running around like a headless chicken. That is one of the ways in which you can shine. It might be that you, you're not ruthless like others. Some people do... Uh, backstab others in order to kind of gain promotion and get up the ladder. Maybe, you're, maybe you can show that you're like Christ by not being like that. You know, promotion's great, it's good, but we don't step over other people to climb up the ladder. So maybe in your lack of ruthlessness, you demonstrate that you know Jesus. There'll be different ways for all of us. Some of us are not in the workplace and are demonstrating integrity in other ways, whether it be at the school gate or in the way in which we care for other people or the way in which we just love our friends and the way we are in our friendship groups. Whatever it might be, we've got opportunities to show integrity, to show that we see Jesus as our Lord, that we worship him with everything, that we honor him. We see that he's given us certain situations as a gift in order to glorify him. I'm going to finish with this quote from Matt Chandler. Uh, who's a great uh, preacher in the States, he says this, if you're a teacher, a politician, a businessman, if you're in agriculture, in construction, technology, or the arts, whatever you do, your attitude should not be, I need to find my life's purposes in this work, but rather, I need to bring about God's purposes in this work. Our workplaces where God has sovereignly placed us for the purpose of making Christ known and his name great. So rather than kind of getting confused and thinking, I don't feel fulfilled in this work, I don't feel fulfilled in this employment, and therefore something's really, really wrong, now actually we come to consider that I can bring about God's purposes in this work. There's things that he would have me accomplish here in making his name great and in calling people to him. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the gift of work. We thank you, Lord, even though so often we think, oh, just got to get through another week. Lord, you've gifted us with work, and it's something that gives us purpose and dignity. And actually, Lord, it's through it that you want us to make your name great. It's through uh, our context of life, whether we're in work or whether we're in uh, currently full-time parenting, um, whatever it might be, Lord, we want to give you honor and praise, and we want to steward this gift well. Lord, we want to worship you with our whole hearts through uh, everything that you've given us to do. Lord, we want to, in view of your mercy, thank you for your mercy on our lives, Lord. Thank you for the way in which you've shown us such love that we do not deserve. We were ill-deserving, let alone undeserving. Lord, you've shown us such mercy and grace. And Lord, we want to worship you with our whole lives. Lord, I pray you'll help us to see that you're interested in every area of our lives coming under your lordship. We thank you that you're a good lord. You're a good master. And we want to honor you in everything that we do for your glory and your praise. And I pray, Father, for anyone here who doesn't know you, who anyone here who maybe has turned up today and looking in, I do pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray right now that you draw close to these 
people, men and women in this room who don't yet know you. And Lord, that we would uh, be rejoicing with them soon, that they know you, that they've come to see that you are uh, all that really satisfies in this life. And that you've made a way for them to know you because Jesus Christ has taken our sin and our shame on the cross. He's absolutely uh, won the victory we couldn't win for ourselves. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Help us, we pray, to live for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.